Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I am your host, Lauren Morse. We are here to talk about improv and teaching. This week, we have Pam Victor. Pam is an improv comedian, author, teacher, consultant, and a nice person. She is the founder and head of Happiness of Happier Valley Comedy, the epicenter of improv in Western Massachusetts, where she teaches the zen of improv to the best students in the world. And she really means that. We'll get into that during the podcast. She also brings the power of improvisation to the workplace in her Through Laughter program. Pam is the co-author of Improvisation at the Speed of Life with TJ Jagodowski and David Pasquese. It's the TJ and Dave book, as it's also known. And she lives online at www.pamvictor.com. Pam and I have quite a lot in common. We're women, we're in comedy, we're also moms, we also homeschool. So we had plenty to talk about. She has done quite a lot. I love her approach. It's about ease and fun, and I think you're going to learn a lot. She's also really thought about how you develop your voice as a teacher. So I think that will help a lot of you out there. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you listen. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. So let's just uh, hop in with how long have you been teaching improv? I have been teaching improv. I've been teaching improv full time for two, maybe three years, I think, actually. I am originally, uh, way back when, believe it or not, I was an elementary school teacher. I have my master's in education as well. And, um, yeah. So, and, but, and so I taught elementary school for a while. I taught preschool. I homeschooled my kids. I never wanted to teach improv when I first became a performer, even though, like, I am a born teacher, um, because it was, like, my thing for me. Right. I just sort of being selfish. I was a mom at the time. You know, I'm still mom. Thank goodness. Uh, But, you know, it's a a new mom. And I just like I need something just for me. And I don't want to teach anybody. I just want to play. Um, But then when I wrote the book with TJ and Dave, uh, Improvisation at the Speed of Life, um, that's gave me a philosophy and approach to it, to improvisation that it suddenly felt fun to think about teaching it. Um, I just, like, I had taught previously, like, but I just couldn't teach another version of Late for Work. You know, not that there's anything wrong with it. It's fantastic. I love short form. I really, really love it. Um, But it's just, like, I don't, I didn't feel juiced about teaching it. Um, But this approach I feel really juiced about teaching. And then it became my own approach, and and I sort of developed my own philosophy as a result. What uh, what currently is your philosophy on teaching or teaching improv? Actually, I mean, on improv and teaching improv. So my philosophy on teaching or the philosophy that I'm teaching? Yeah, let's go with that. The philosophy that you're teaching. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so my my program is so I, my, I run a school called Happier Valley Comedy School in um, which is part of my company, coincidentally called Happier Valley Comedy. Uh, and that's in Western Massachusetts. And so the four lower levels of the school are called the Zen of Improv, and that's what I teach. And when I travel around the United States um, or the world and teach, I teach the Zen of Improv primarily. That's sort of what I identify as my, as my philosophy. And it is um, patient, 
uh, let's see, patient, evenly paced, authentic, long form improvisation. It's based on the philosophy that uh, we are going to try to improvise based on finding where the most joy and easefulness is. And easefulness is a word I kind of, I, I may have made up or something. It may be, I don't know. I use it. Um, and it means like, how can we get to doing that scene where we feel like we're going down the river in a canoe and that we could take the oars out of the water and just let the river take us down, you know, carry the current. That, that, the best time we do a scene when you get high for like weeks after, it's when it's one of those scenes like, I didn't even try. You know, like, there was no effort whatsoever. You know, like, when did you think of that funny thing you said? I was like, after I said it. Like, I never, I didn't even think. Um, so I really, my two biggest pieces of directions, my students are probably so sick of me saying it, uh, where was the joy, where was the ease? And how can we get to that? So I don't teach any rules at all, and I don't teach finding the funny. Um, people come in and say, I want to learn how to be funny. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to teach you how to be funny. Because I do really believe what TJ and Dave taught me, which is that if you, if you go for funny, you could only get funny or not funny are your two options, is which, what the guys say. Um, but if you go for like really great improvisation, there are a whole host of options that you can hit. A poignant, touching, heartfelt, smart, witty, uh, funny could be in there. You know, oh, there's so much stuff, sad, you know, it's all sorts of cool stuff that you can hit. Um, and that's pretty much what I'm going for. And, and I really am big with like, you are enough. You have everything you need to do to perfectly do this scene. People, I, sometimes I feel like I spend years convincing people that they had everything they needed to do to be a great improviser from the minute they walked in the door. I'm happy to take their money um, <laughs> and spend the time with them because they're always delightful, wonderful people, and we have a wonderful time together, and they make my life better. But, yeah, it's like – but you still have to go through this developmental phase of just hating what you do. And I've, that's what I've been struggling with lately. I was like, can I save them from that? And, I don't, uh, I don't I know that you can – no, you can't. I think you can – shepherd them through the process though. Um, yeah. yeah, I, um, that you are enough is something I also will talk about. And I was at a workshop at a festival, so they don't even really know me. Right. And I kind of just come in like a hurricane. It's I'm here. We're doing this. And the student was doing something and it was a woman. And I looked at her and I just looked at her in the eyes and said, you are enough. And it was like the, it was as if someone it was as as if I was the first person to ever tell her that. Yeah. And I was just like, that's not. This shouldn't be. This shouldn't be such like mind blowing concept on stage, you know. <laughs> or in life, right? But it really is. I mean, I think it's really. It's funny. I was just doing this meditation, guided meditation from some app, and it was like loving kindness, and, you know, it's just some bullshit thing, but helps me fall asleep. So not, not that meditating is bullshit, um, but my meditation, my, my, the meditation I love the most is moving 
meditation through improv actually. Um, so, uh, but one of the, it was like on loving kindness and so woo woo. And so they're like shine loving kindness into your own heart. Uh, and it's like, you know, how could you think about things that you like about yourself? And I couldn't believe how hard it was because then they said, give loving kindness to your favorite person, like and shine the light of loving kindness on them and to somebody you're having challenges with. And even that was a little bit easier than turning it and thinking these thoughts about myself. So yeah. And that's what we get to practice all that cool stuff. And you can't think it through. You can't think it. You have to experience it. You do. You really do have to, to experience it. Um, which will bring me some questions as we move down, but with this philosophy then, and with your starting of teaching, the first class you went into, was it a curriculum created by you or was it something you were handed? No, it was a curriculum created by me. I made my own school. Okay, great. Um, and I sort of built it. It was like the house that I built as we were living in it. Yes. So I was like, oh, I'm going to teach a class. So I taught that class, and they said, "Can we, we're not done. I said, okay, what do you want to learn next? So it was sort of little by little, uh, kept, and they kept not leaving. In fact, those most of those students are still with me. And we keep like, okay, what are we going to, you know, so now I have a director of my comedy school, Scott Braidman, who I adore. And, um, yeah, we're like, okay, what do we teach him next? You know, he does all the upper-level classes. We have like 13 advanced classes. We're running six classes a week right now. So I started out teaching one class a week a few years ago. Now Scott's teaching three, I'm teaching three, all the way from level one to performance. You know, there were, we're, we're sort of like, we, it, we have to tell them, go, go, <laughs> go perform. You've got to get your reps in. Um, so I, I developed it as, as, I, uh, I was, as I was teaching it. And it starts with, I think everybody kind of starts the same way where you parrot your favorite teachers, so I sort of cobbled together the philosophies of the people that resonated with me. So obviously I spent two years, you know, thinking my job was to think T.J. Jagodowski and David Pasquese's thoughts and write them down. And so, and there were actually a period of time where I felt like I would open my mouth and their words would come out. I was like so in their heads, um, which I'm sure they were delighted with. Um, so their philosophy was really huge for me. Uh, but then also Mark Sutton is a ginormous yes. influence for me. He's at Second City and yes. he's bat, one half of Bass Prov. Um, oh, there's my dog. Sorry. No, that's okay. Susan I can't out. <laughs> <laughs> Susan Messing is my spirit animal. Um, and I adore her completely. And, um, yeah, I love her. There, Will Luera, formerly of Improv Boston, now of Sarasota, is a huge Per, uh, huge influence on me. So I use some of, in fact, just yesterday I was teaching like his signature um, piece, which is called I Blank You, uh, which is all about emotional point of view. And my next biggest influence is Piero Procaccini, who is the best improv teacher nobody's ever heard of. Um, Piero is amazing. And it's just like, I wish he would teach more, but he has a full-time job working for Second City uh, and he goes teaching all around. The, he literally crosses the globe all the time. Um, but if you ever have an opportunity to teach with, to learn from Piero, he is, he's, just, he's so amazing. I wish everybody could learn from Piero. So when you were developing the curriculum and then you would go and try it, uh, what were you using as your sort of metric of success and failure, if you will, um, with the teaching style. I mean, you know, we can easily say, well, in improv, there's no failure. There's only learning, which is 
true. Uh, but there's also like I. Jill, Jill Bernard and I are talking about this, like that one moment in your early teaching career where you've just sucked the improv life out of somebody. We will definitely talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to, we can talk about it now. Whatever. <laughs> okay. not, not, yeah, not many. They may, and, and, and they're, I like, they're literally, I can think of two, but they made me better teachers. In fact, huge. I mean, huge. One of them in particular had a huge impact on making me a better teacher. Very because of the challenges they possessed Um, for your teaching. Yeah, let's go into that then a little. And so, and 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 so, what she ended up having, um, she she formed my philosophy of teaching as much as anybody else. As a matter of fact, Um, so there. Yeah, there comes a point when you know you're taking everybody and you're cobbling their philosophies together. So I'll answer your first question first. And then you're trying it out. And of course, when you're just saying somebody else's lines, it's not as good. So you're, you're, in, you're figuring out on the fly. I mean, I love teaching so much and I love improvisation. So um, I'm sitting there just, you know, giving it to them with my whole heart. And when things, yeah, I judge it again. What did it feel? Did the lesson feel easeful and did it feel fun? Right? Those two things, same metrics that I always use. Uh, and when it didn't feel easeful and fun, how can I help it to make it feel more easeful and fun? You know, sort of like, oh, that just happened. Okay, cool. Now what are we going to do about it? And so I'd have to jiggle things around it and make it fit for my community, which is a really different community than most, right? My average student is a middle-aged woman. I, I live in an improv unicorn community. Um, I'm getting more guys, which I'm super excited about. My last level one was half men, and I even had people in their in their 20s, so that was super exciting. Um, one white guy in his 20s, I'm so excited in my whole community. <laughs> like it's like, like, ah, yay, come, go on, come on, bring your friends. Um, it's hilarious, and he wears Converse. You know, he's like, like, oh really my god, so we've heard of you in the magical land. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a mythical creature. I did have a student who actually said, do men improvise? I said, yeah, it's kind of cool because my group is, is all women. And um, yeah, mostly in, the, in our uh, 50s, actually. So yeah. But so the second part, so the hardest student. Um, this was my second time teaching, so my second class teaching. And she came in day two and said, I hated this class and I hated everything I did, but I'm coming back anyways because I'm stubborn and I paid for it and damn it, I'm doing it. And I hate people. But, oh, she came into the first class saying I hate people. So, you know, she was a real shrinking violet, as you can tell. Uh, so I said, okay, cool. Um, what did you hate about what you did last week um, on your first lesson of improv she's like I'm a terrible improviser and I'm just like banging my head against the wall already and she said I'm bad at it I said wow I've been doing this for a while and you must know more about it than I do because I couldn't tell that you were bad at it um, at your first lesson because I don't even know what that means Um, and so she brought like so like huge bucket loads just yeah, hay bale loads, just roomfuls of self-judgment um, to everything she did every single day until the very end. She <laughs> used to have to 
get drunk to come to my show. <laughs> she came with her wife and her wife would drive and she said she would drink a glass of wine on her way to the show. And I'm just like, why the fuck are you doing this? Um, but whatever, she, she kept coming and she wasn't disruptive except, you know, just it, it hurt my heart to watch. Even on the last day, she's like, she apologized she's to the whole class. She's like, I'm right. so sorry. I was so terrible the whole time. And I'm like, crap, I've, I haven't, I shit, you know, I'm like hoping that eventually like some, some stuff sunk in. But anyways, from day two, I had to bring in these, this effort to help her with non-judgment. And the, the biggest part, one of the biggest parts of my philosophy was formed on that day, um, which is this idea of how, the importance of non-judgment and how it doesn't help. So we call it Kelvin. So we talk about naming. It, it's, it's called your evil mind meaning. And that's the voice inside your head that's constantly judging you and judging other people. I say it's, the, it's always uh, conjugating the verb to suck. I suck. You suck. We all suck. They all suck, right? You're you're just, it's just this disgusting uh, joyride of suckitude. So, and it's the voice of unhelpful judgment. There is a voice of helpful judgment, and that's a good one to listen to because it tells you, you know, not to kill people or to drive the right direction when you're going down the highway or don't throw acid at your friend or, you know, all that good stuff. Wear pants, you know, those things. Um, but the, non, the non-helpful voice of judgment doesn't help. In fact, he's, it's a liar, it's lying constantly. There's nothing, not one thing that comes out of the evil mind meanie's mouth that is truthful. And we, I encourage people to name their evil mind meanie. In, in my school, we call it Calvin, um, for lack of a, a better name. Um, and we just say, we say, thank you, Calvin, because that voice of judgment is trying to protect us, even though he's wrong. And then we say, shut up, Calvin. Shut up, Kelvin. And, and that is a muscle, that shut up, Kelvin muscle. You can't make it go away. You can't force it to be quiet. You can't think your way into it. You can just little by little every day recognize that's unhelpful judgment and it's, it's a lie and just kindly ask it to be quiet and then focus on something else. And usually, nah, all the time, the best place to focus is on you and your scene partner and what's happening in the moment. How can you pay more attention? Because the, the Kelvin is keeping us from paying attention, right? When we're playing even a game as simple as zip, zap, zap, when it takes us a minute to do the zap after the zip or whatever, um, it's because of the evil mind meanies. Because you get the zip and you're like, ah, oh, crap. And what are you thinking? You're usually thinking something like, I can't do it fast enough. I suck at this game. Crap, what am I supposed to say next? I'm going to do it wrong. So the, all those thoughts are preventing you from saying zap. Does she sound like it, you could have done this with her class after class and just the walls were so high that it just wasn't going to come down? Not, not at that, not in those six or eight weeks or whatever it was. But I hope one day that some of it sunk in and without a doubt, it's changed the way that I think, and it changed my teaching, and it changed the impact that I have on every single student. There was another thing that I had to create um, for her, and that was the great spirit of fuck it. And the great spirit of fuck it, um, 
is that wonderful thing. You can see when she's conjured up, people will like shrug their shoulders and just be like, fuck it. Uh, I'm not going to listen to Calvin. I'm just going to, whatever comes out, comes out. And that's so much fun. That's the place of pure creativity. We love when, when the great spirit of fuck it is conjured. Um, so, and that I, that, that woman also facilitated the creation of the great spirit of fuck it, which is also instrumental in my approach for your typical class. Uh, so for now, for right now, like currently where you guys are in terms of your progress as a training center, um, did you, are you writing the upper level classes or you just, or did you just write the ones, the original ones and now that's on to somebody else? I just write the, the first four levels and then, um, Scott designs and teaches most of them, but we like communicated about, about it together. So he does, and it's in the really indirect reaction and relation to our students. So we like, we want to get them into a Herald class, right? Cause Herald, I think Herald is, uh, it's not my favorite performing tool, but it is uh, a really important training tool. And I see students come out of the Herald one and Herald two stronger, uh, by far than they went in. Um, but then my students needed a little time from level four to Herald. So then another class was developed. So now we have find your scene. And then he developed a class called working as an ensemble and then Herald one. And now they're saying, you know, some people don't want to go into Herald. So we develop another avenue, um, to, to prepare them for the non Herald route. Okay. So when you guys are going and you're doing that and you're looking at your curriculum, do you, have a tendency to work from like the end goal. So this is Harold and then work backwards or are you the type that works front and then goes to the end to the, the, does that make sense? No, that's what she said. Right. Um, <laughs> we serve the needs of the moment. It depends, you know, we, Again, it's that house that's been built on little by little. And by the way, you know, Scott and I work together, but his philosophy is different than my philosophy. So he teaches game, and I don't teach game. He might teach rules, kind of, sort of, and I don't teach rules. And so, the, in which I think is really important. And so, and we have other teachers that teach upper level classes. And, you know, whatever they want is fine, because I tell my students, I, I like to imprint my approach onto them. Um, because I feel like you're not a, you're not like a graduate of our school until you've learned the Zen of improv. And then you should get every single tool you possibly can. So go ahead and learn game, learn louder, faster, funnier. If that's what gets real rocks off, like whatever fight you brings you most joy, do it. So, you know, Scott goes ahead and teaches that, uh, to answer your question. Gosh, I think we're just like figuring it out as we're going along what the students seem to be needing and then we'll design the class so with that in mind then um you know some training programs you don't pass some everybody passes where where are you guys on that spectrum so for the lower levels for the first level four zen one zen two zen three and zen four you have to you can't miss any more than two of the eight classes in order to graduate so that's just like really basic um, and that's uh, across the board, right? You can't get credit for the previous class. And our advanced level right now is divided into three tiers, tier one, tier two, tier three. And so some classes are tier one, some classes are tier two, some classes are tier three. If you go to happiervalley.com and click on advanced improv, you could see it. It's We're still figuring out. I, it, some people are finding it a little bit confusing, but this is what we're doing. So you have to graduate from a tier one class to take a tier two class. 
So, and Herald One, by the way, is a tier three class. Um, and some have ad additional requirements on top of a previous one. So in general, first of all, you have to get your prerequisites. And then we make recommendations um, at the beginning of every session. So for all our previous students, we said, if you're interested in going on, this is the next class we recommend you take. Oh, so personally to each student, you'll say, okay, yeah. so that's, I mean, that's, but that's great that you take the time to recommend that because if someone knows they're on a trajectory that requires a tier three class, right? Uh, but they're, they're still in tier one classes and they're just, it's just not going to happen. Right. What is that conversation? Yeah. What is that conversation like? Is that coming from you or is that coming from whoever their teacher is at the time? It's coming from Scott because he's the director of the comedy school right now. Um, and, and he teaches the advanced classes primarily. I teach one every now and then. Um, if I need to be in on it, that that would be fine. And it doesn't happen too often. It's only happened for us just a couple times. And yeah, it's a it's. I just don't think you're ready yet. I think it would benefit you more to go back and re, and we have students who retake classes. It's you know, that's the thing about my students, and that's I kind of I'm so lucky to be because to be teaching in this area because uh, most of them are adults who aren't getting going anywhere. Right. Some of them, I'd say like 30, maybe closer to 40 percent these days are interested in performing, but they are it's nowhere. They're not going anywhere quickly. They're not dying to get out there on stage. There's actually nowhere to perform so much right now. Uh, we have one monthly show that's a jam and a showcase and they could do the showcase set. Um, so they're happy to continue to take classes. But, yeah, it is having that conversation. Hey, Harold, you're just. I don't think Harold one's going to be fun for you right now. I think if you take uh, working at his ensemble one more time, you might be ready to take Harold's one. It's just going to fuck up your mind too much and you won't have fun. And I want to see you have fun. Some people can be like, well, I can watch them and I can see, but other people are trying to quantify it. Right. So do you like, is there really any kind of metrics you guys are using or is it just really like, look, I know we know our program. Mm. We see that cause we see that you're struggling with agreement. We see that you can't get through a scene without falling apart and needing support, right? Those kind of things. Um, because it's so, it is subjective. I mean, it's subjective. It's right. fluid. Uh, so I always find that question yeah. to be a hard one to even ask. Like, do you have metrics in place or is it just your teacher? We do not. Okay. We do not. It's, it's option B that you talked about. Okay. And um, again, we're, we're fairly new school. So is it a sustainable, as we get bigger, uh, I guess we have about 80 students or something right now, but as we get bigger, is it going to be sustainable? I don't know. I mean, this in theory, they could fight it. And so they take it, you know, I mean, if they really were like, I want to take that and I think I'm ready. And Scott says, I really don't see it. And I, it's going to be, you're going to make it, it's going to be hard on the other students. Um, you know, and then we sort of make a call. Right. Do we just go for it and let the chips fall where they may or not? I, yeah. You guys, I mean, the beautiful thing is, like you said, you'll, you guys have been building as you're going. So you'll figure all of that out also as those needs arise. It's always just, it's interesting to me to hear everybody's different approach and take to it. I don't, there's no right answer. There's really no right answer. Well, and you know, like you, I'm a homeschooler. So like the whole idea, even though I'm trained in education, the whole, I, I really hate the idea for me as an educator of metrics in art Right. My daughter is in high school and taking ceramics and the fact that she gets and or to when she's taking theater class, the fact that and the teacher hates grading her 
and you know, and the student hates being graded. And we all know it's completely inappropriate to apply metric, you know, some sort of quantifiable measurement to art um, because it's so so subjective, so subjective. Um, so that would I mean, what would I grade them on agreement? I guess. <laughs> But it's like I also have a terrible time judging my students because I've like been so versed in non-judgment. I don't see scene, the scenes that they do as good or bad. I see that, and they do. They they leave going, Ugh, and I'm like, you guys, what? I don't. What are you talking about? I see stuff that you need to work on, and now we know about it. So is that bad that we're now we have a clearer vision of what we get to work on next? No, I think it's actually good. So that scene was a gift. With your approach of like, look, we this is great because now we have uncovered something we need to work on together and I we're going to get through it and we're going to do that. I feel like that approach will then cut back on a student who wants to challenge your notes or fight with you on feedback or just isn't good. Or is that not a true statement? <laughs> fight with me on feedback. Yeah, because that's sort of like what everybody that's that's your everybody it's their knee-jerk reaction right mine right. too is to be like wait but you haven't seen me in my comfort zone and when i'm educated when i'm performing with my friends uh, i don't do that right um first of all feedback for me is like this is my thought today in this moment and i'm one person so my feedback can change in another moment because we're at a different place and a different teacher could see this and judge it completely differently. So take it like that. Um, I also, students hate it, but I tend to give more positive feedback than negative. So I'm trying to guide them by telling them what they're doing right to have them do more of that. Not doing right, that's even not even a good term. Uh, what they're performing more skillfully and where I want them to go, where I'm trying to lead them, right? Um, so after a scene, if there was blocking, you know, I'd be like, okay, cool. What was fun about that? What was easeful? Uh, well, you know, every, I was just peppering her with questions and they weren't helpful questions and that just felt like it wasn't going anywhere. Cool. What do you want to do ne differently next time? Maybe I, I, you know, I was like, do you know the answers to the questions you were asking? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, cool. Why don't we try it that way? Um, so it sounds like that. My, I'm teaching a tier one class called Follow the Show, right? I mean, a tier three class. So the highest level classes, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's called Follow the Show because it's this idea that the show has a mind of its own. And if we listen very carefully, we can figure out where it wants to go. This is a TJ Jagodowski idea that I'm experimenting with on my guinea pig students. <laughs> and, the, and they were like, so they've been with me for a few years. And they're like, we want feedback. We want tough feedback. I'm like, cool, all right, let's do it. And so I sort of did something that I've seen Mick Napier do, where you just go around the room, and everybody gets two or three minutes, and I just, okay, go. I'll this is what I think you need to work on. This is what I see is working for you. I can, I can tell them, you know, it's fine. Is that helpful? Sometimes. Definitely not in the lower levels. I, I'm not interested in telling them anything like that in the lower levels. Right, because when Mick did that to me, I was so grateful, right? I was like, oh, one, how does he know that <laughs> what, by watching one scene? <laughs> yeah. I'm still working on the notes that, that Mick gave me <laughs> years later. But, yeah, I've heard that from a few people where when they do the positive feedback or students are like, oh, but I really want this or that, and I feel like, 
we're so, I don't know if it's like American or Westernized, but we're so conditioned to be like, give me negative. I'm right. Um, and then you do, and then they can't handle it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. And, and my students took it pretty well. You know, they took it, they like, great. Thank you. And of course I'm still like, my goal is to let them have more fun and ease, you know, to facilitate that. So I'm not going to be a bitch about it. It's not helpful. In fact, I was, I did one student actually yesterday, in fact, just sort of like confronted me because she said, uh, I had given her feedback the week before and I was, she said, I'm not having fun anymore. I am, we're in these upper level classes and they're not fun anymore. And so, of course, I'm thinking, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole, right? The Susan Messing mantra that I use all the time. And I, when I gave her her feedback, I was like, if you're not having fun, don't do it. And I was sort of feeling frustrated, but I, I wasn't in control enough of the way I was giving the note. I was trying to give it from a heartfelt place. I was feeling like more, it was, I wish I had said it differently. Um, I wish I had said, I really want you to have more fun. And so if this class isn't fun for you, you shouldn't be taking it. Don't, but I'll give you your money back. Don't take it. Uh, why, why on earth? She's also in her seventies. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> Please. No, have fun. And she was like, you made it feel like it was personal and you were mad at me. And I was like, I am so sorry. You know? So I just was I instantly was like, tried to be as accountable as possible. Uh, you are right. I said it in the wrong way, and it's not. I and, and I'm and I apologize. And this is what I wish I had said. Um, so I'm I'm happy to hear feedback uh, about my feedback. Um, I forgot your question. Damn it. <laughs> That's okay. I, that actually that actually brings me to like self monitoring your own progress yeah. as a teacher. Do your um, besides students obviously feeling they can tell you that up front, which is fantastic. Are you doing evaluations? Mm-hmm. Like what do you do to monitor your own, your own growth as a teacher? Yes, we do feedback forms after every single class and workshop. Um, and we do, we say, how would you, we, the teachers are rate, we ask them to rate the teachers on a five point scale. And we say, what did you like about what the teacher did? And what would, what would you suggest the teacher work on or something like that? Um, we're going to continue to do that. The funny thing is, and then we ask some other questions too, but the funny thing is for every person that you get one feedback about, there's a person that gives you the opposite and equal <laughs> feedback. So sometimes they're very, very helpful of like, oh, like I got a lot that I need to give more feedback. Cool. Um, but other times, uh, I have to, I'd be like, this person felt this way. This person felt the opposite. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing until I get more right direction. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there's those outliers. You're like, what? I did what? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't understand that. Um, yeah. What, because your population is a bit um, unique, what, <laughs> are, are you encountering the moments on stage when someone is like, doing something that's racist or sexist. Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, how, how as a teacher do you handle those moments? Right. Um, it's le- it's less so cause I'm working primarily with adults, um, who are like very adulty, right. uh, but it, uh, and we are talking about it. So what recently, uh, within the last year, we started a bill of rights 
and um, that was devised um, from some stuff that information I got actually on the on the Improv Teachers Facebook page. Um, and Jill Bernard was instrumental in that. And then other people, I, I think I posted something, what's your bill of rights? And so I just took ideas that everybody suggested. It's still on there under notes so people could take it. And so we print out the bill of rights and everybody sees it. And so the bill of rights, like my big three are, uh, number one rule is assume goodwill. So, and that's, that's the most important. Like that's the one when we get our own theater, it's going to be made into a plaque and, and, and put up everywhere because if something comes up, so if somebody says something that doesn't feel good, I'm going to assume the rule is that we're going to assume they weren't doing it because they're an asshole or a jerk or a racist or a sexist or whatever. They did it because they were trying their best and they were thought it would be funny and it just landed flat. All right, so that's our first big rule. Uh, and then the second one is if it's not fun for somebody, it's not fun for any, any, everybody or anybody. Um, so, yeah, if you're not having fun, you need, you talk, let's talk about it. And I have a friend, Ellen Ornato, who's down in Connecticut, and she does diversity training, and she gave me this tool, this ouch tool. So at any time during class, a person at any time could just say, ouch. Um, and that's all the risk because it's really hard to say, Hey, that didn't, that felt racist or something like that, you know, especially in the beginning to start, but you could say, ouch. And then she says, the rule is it's not on the person who said ouch to explain it. It's on the person who was ouched to make amends. So that, that's an interesting one. And then and the third rule for us is you could step out of a scene at any time if yeah. it makes you uncomfortable without explanation. Have you had that happen? No. Okay. Have you had anyone do the ouch? No. We, we haven't been using the ouch very much. But we had, did, I did have a student, day two of level one, uh, who had an issue with something that was said, not in a scene, but um, sort of a sidebar conversation. Okay. Um, and so he called me and we talked about it and we worked through it. It wasn't easy. I got to say it was, it was challenging for all of us. Was it said directly to that person or they overheard it? It was said in a group discussion. Okay. So did you uh, have the conversation with the group after you were contacted or was it just with that person who contacted I talked you? to the person and t- worked with him to figure out what would feel the best for him for a way to rectify it. Now, I was a little nervous about bringing it to the whole group because it's day two of level one and they're terrified about saying anything. Like I spend six weeks just getting them to relax and, and say something. So I was really scared about, you know, yeah, putting this on top of them. But um, so we ended up after class, the, we, he sat down with the people who had said the thing and had a discussion. Okay. And it was, and it was fine. And everybody, it was beautiful. Right. And right. again, this is another opportunity that made, he made me a better teacher. They yeah. Made, they all made me a better teacher. That experience made me a better teacher. Um. I love that. I love that you're able to do all that. I think that is, it's just super important. Um, I also think that you, I also, I skew female in my classes. Um, and I find that makes, that has made a great opportunities for discussions to come out. Great opportunities to highlight stuff that goes on stage that like no one thinks they're being nasty or mean. It's so ingrained in our vocabulary 
Yeah. And we're like, you know that's like anti-woman when you say that. What? You know, it's like, yeah, okay. Well, and I'll say, and, and I, so, okay, I don't talk about it a ton unless it's like really blatant, which I actually don't think I can think of anything uh, that's happened in the lower levels. But in the upper levels, I'll start to say to them, um, and I'll point it out because they're, they love each other. It's such a nice community that I'm in. Um, and they know that everybody means well, they're all well-versed in assuming goodwill, but I want them to, now that they're getting into the upper levels, become aware they're going to get in front of an audience and things are going to ouch the audience and it will make it harder for them as performers and less fun for them as performers. So I'll say, okay, cool. Uh, so some guy, sweetest guy in the whole wide world, he called a woman a bitch, uh, the character a bitch in a scene. And it wasn't like, y- yo, bitch. It was, you know, you're being a bitch. And it was so funny because that's not even in this man's vocabulary normally. And afterwards, he walked off the, out of the scene and quit, and he cringed. And I was like, cool, let's talk about this for a second. Did you have fun in that scene? And he said, and was it, it felt easy. He goes, no, it didn't. It wasn't fun. What wasn't fun for you? Well, I just didn't like that choice I made, you know, calling her a bitch. And the woman in the scene was like, I'm fine with it. I know you don't feel that way. I was like, yeah, but in front of an audience, like, I was like, I got have to admit, I had a little icky feeling too. Like just a moment, I forget, it was forgiven immediately, but that's the audience is going to feel that icky feeling. So now we know, like, sometimes it's not until you bang up against it in this safe group of a classroom in a supportive classroom where you're assuming goodwill and they're like cool that wasn't didn't make your job any more any easier or more fun so maybe not calling people bitches might be a good idea from now on right right but uh but exactly sometimes we just really need to experience it to be like oh i'm not doing that again that's i'm done done yeah and even and it's a constant conversation because even then it's not super clear like, well, we're constantly talking about it. Like, oh, somebody, some guy, he had a scene and he made his character have tiny hands, um, like tiny little arms, right? So it was funny. It was adorable. And after the scene, I was like, I loved it. It was hilarious. These are all the wonderful things that went wrong, run, went right, was beautiful about it. And then I just want to point out that we do have people that come to our shows that have different size body parts. Um, that might feel hard for an audience member. What? Let's talk about it. You know, so those things come up all the time. And after each scene, we, just last night, they were like, well, do you think that would have flown? Did that feel, it's like, how did it feel to you? Right. It's, it's really, really hard. And it, it depends on a group and it depends on the class and it depends on an audience. Yeah. And audiences vary from place to place yes. too. So yes. I also enjoy that you are, talking to the teachers um, to your students about audience because I feel like that's sometimes a lost piece in our teaching that we don't have a conversation about guess what this also happens in front of an audience let's talk about that yeah and every audience is different so when they come to perform like when I have people come out from Boston to perform in Western Mass I have to tell them this is what our audience like they they don't you have to earn nasty talk. They don't like gratuitous sex talk. It's just, it, they're an older audience, the demographically. When I go to Boston, I get to let loose. I love it, man. It's all fuck this, pussy that. You know, it's just joy for me because <laughs> it's like my nasty confetti of uh, disgustingness. I get to do it and I love it. Now, as you guys are growing uh, and the teachers you have, are those people who've already been teaching or are you doing a train the trainer program? We are not yet doing at the point. I'm hoping um, 
to do a train the trainer program eventually. I would love to get somebody. Uh, we just don't have a very big community of teachers. Right. Um, and the people who are able to be teachers, um, they are actually teachers during the year, most of them, or they work. And so summers are the only time that are really available for them. So we our program changes in the summer. We do these one-off series of one-offs. So they'll commit to teaching a one-off or an intensive or something. Like okay. That. And they're already coming in trained and all that good stuff then. Yeah. Well, they're teaching what they want to teach. Right. I, I like to, I was like, I say, what do you, what do you love teaching the most? Cool. Teach that. But if someone taught the Zen of improv, they would need to get trained. Right. And I decide, so the, what they would need to do is observe the class and then the second round, um, and we would like do lots of debriefing. And the second round, we'd either co-teach or eventually, you know, they would teach it, and I would watch and, and give notes, and then they'd be hopefully ready to fledge. Is that the word? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Start taking that on. What? Um, what kind? Of, what? If someone was thinking about becoming a teacher, do you have any thoughts about that? What you would tell them? Any advice? teach (laughs) who are your who are your favorite teachers and what do you love about the way they teach um and you know try try that on and then find your own voice and I the only way you can find your own voice and this is when I was doing a geeking out with interview with um Jason Schatz um I said how do you develop your philosophy and he said teaching yeah, and he was absolutely right. Like, I didn't develop my own philosophy until I started teaching. And again, like I said before, you cobble together everybody's ideas that you love, and then eventually it becomes uh, your own your own approach. So, yeah, teach and, and remain open. Remain, keep, maintain beginner mind. Be open to, just like as an improviser, be open to feedback. Be open, be flexible. I like to be really well prepared. I write a full lesson plan and follow it as I go in, but other teachers just sort of like to, you know, have a general idea. Um, but, and if, and if your students aren't happy, um, that's on you. That's on you. What do you, cause your job is to reach them in any way you can. And you're not going to be able to reach every single student, right? Cause we're humans and we chemistry and all sorts of stuff. Um, but if you're, if most students are feeling like shit about themselves and leaving, yeah, feet with their head, you know, their tail between their legs and their heads down. Um, you need to look at the way you're teaching and figure out where's the fun, where's the ease. Do more of that. Where can people find you online? People can find me at pamvictor.com and happiervalley.com is my company site. So all the stuff that I write is on pamvictor.com and my podcast um, and other crapola that I put out. And then my company with the school and all that is at happiervalley.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. This has been awesome. I love it. This has just been great. This is a pleasure to be able to do this. So thank you. (laughs)